Jesus, we thank you this morning for your presence in this place. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that today, together, we can be still and know, as we've heard from your word, that everything's going to be okay because you're in control of our lives. We want to thank you for that. We praise you in this place. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Come on. Wasn't this absolutely incredible? Absolutely amazing. And I think after three, all of these guys should take a big bow and we should give them a big, huge shout and a round of applause. One, two, three. Come on, guys, take a bow. Wonderful. And let's continue to applaud them as they leave the stage. Do you know, faithfully, our musicians, singers, and choir have been coming here week after week just to prepare for today's service. That's the, the level of commitment and preparation that has been in place just to bless us. And what a great blessing they've been to us today. Well, the great day is upon us, soon upon us. And um, are you excited? Christmas is such a wonderful, wonderful season, a season where we give and where we receive. But our minds always go back, don't they, to that first Christmas when Jesus came into our world. And in this, in this season, at this time, I'm so encouraged because the Holy Spirit has spoken to us as a church in that very simple phrase that he gave us just a few weeks ago from his heart to us. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Whatever season of life we're in, whatever we're facing, whatever we're going through, it's going to be okay because God's in control. He really is. He's in charge of our lives. Every single aspect of our lives, every detail, every eventuality, every circumstance that we face, He's in control of it. And we place our trust and our faith in Him today, knowing that it's going to be okay because He's always by our side. King David in the Psalms said this on one occasion about the greatness and the faithfulness of God. He said, he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. Have you found, listen, have you found when you go through trouble in life, people run from you? When you're facing trouble, when you're facing dark times, when you're facing situations that you're struggling to get through, sometimes you look around in life and it's hard to find anybody that'll stand with you side by side, shoulder to shoulder with you to face the trouble that you're facing, especially when, you know, the trouble is difficult and it's, it's, you know, really complex. Very often, people run from you. David said this about the Lord. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. That's who's on your side. 
That's who's with you. That's who's for you. Not because you've got ticks against your name. No, we're a, but, you know, we're a bunch of people that have got more crosses against our name than ticks, right? We're a bunch of licorice all sorts in this room, I tell you. But thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his forgiveness. Thank God for his unconditional love. It's going to be okay. And he never, ever leaves or forsakes when trouble besets us. He's always, always with us. He really is. He oversees. The Hebrews writer, or the writer to the Hebrews said this about Jesus. It's just an incredible line in the Bible that's more than a line. It's the truth. And you can test it in your experience. Jesus' commitment to you, Jesus' commitment to me is this. I, listen to it carefully, I've said it many times and I'll say it a lot more. I, this is Jesus speaking to each one of us, I will never leave you or forsake you. I tell you, that's all you need to know. It really is. He's always with us. And he's always for us, and it's absolutely wonderful. Do you know, just this week as I was preparing for this message today and this, this service, my mind went back to thinking about a tapestry that hung in my mum and dad's living room. And I used to look at this when I was growing up as a kid. And in fact, it, everyone that came into our home it would capture their attention. It was a focal point and a point of conversation. And it was, a, it, it was a tapestry of the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples, what we know as the Last Supper. And this tapestry that hung on the living room wall was rich and vibrant in color. It had intricate detail in it, like any tapestry. And comments would often be made about it because of those details and because of its beauty. It would capture people's attention, capture the attention of the visitors that came to our home. But one day I remember that I remember seeing it not on the wall. And it was out of the frame. For whatever reason that was, it was out of the frame. And I remember going up to it and looking at it and seeing all of the, the detailed colors and all of the threads, how exact and vibrant and ordered they were. But then I turned it over and I started to look at the underside of that tapestry and it was a completely different picture. The underside of the tapestry was completely chaotic it had no order to it. It was an absolute mess. The front side, when you looked at that, everything was okay. The back side of the tapestry or the reverse side of it, nothing looked okay. Because behind this beautiful picture, this tapestry that hung on the wall that everybody admired, that everybody talked about. Behind it was a jumble of knots, hanging threads, 
tangled stitches, random colors that were unsightly and chaotic. The underside of the tapestry had nothing attractive about it. There was no beauty to be seen there. It certainly wasn't a focal point that anybody would admire. And you know, when I got to thinking about that, I realized that sometimes life is just like the backside, the backside, the reverse side of the tapestry. All of us would want life to be like that beautiful front side, wouldn't we? We really would. But all of us know by experience that life more often resembles the backside of the tapestry, the reverse side that's unattractive, that's full of knots, loose ends, tangled and frayed cords that are knotted up, that we struggle to make sense of. When we look back at the first Christmas, this is what we see. You don't see the front side of the tapestry, really, when you read the Scriptures. You see the reverse side of it. Of course, the picture starts out with a golden thread of God's promise to Mary. She's highly favored. She's going to conceive in her womb the very Son of God. She's going to bring him into the world. But that golden thread of promise that shone so bright was weaved together with many other dark threads, all leading to Jesus being born in a cold stable in Bethlehem. Imagine that for a moment. As this newly married couple traveled to Bethlehem, they came face to face with the backside of the tapestry, the backside of the tapestry of their life. Nothing was neat and tidy for them. They were faced with the raw realities of life, the coldness of circumstance, pressing hard against them, cornering them. Mary and Joseph felt the trauma, the panic, and the fear of the uncertainty that faced them. Luke, on the other hand, writes very unemotionally but very factually in telling us where Jesus was born. In Luke chapter 2, when Luke records the birth narrative of Christ coming into our world, there's no emotion attached to it. But he records it very factually. Luke chapter 2, verse 4 to verse 7, tells us that Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judah to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered 
And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Mary, this faithful servant of God who had said, Months before in Nazareth, be it done unto me according to your word, has to lay down in a cold, dirty stable surrounded by animals to give birth to the Son of God. Nothing was sterile about this environment. There's no midwives, no hand to help. They were alone to bring baby Jesus into the world. This was the underside of the tapestry for Mary and Joseph, for this young couple that simply wanted to obey God and His Word. And the Bible does not hide the raw, rugged realities that face them. And I'm encouraged by that. I really am. This isn't a perfect picture like you see on many of your Christmas cards that's airbrushed to kind of depict Christ's perfect arrival into this world. No, the Bible gives us the raw, rugged reality of what happened. Mary and Joseph could find no room for Christ the Christ child to be born, the very Son of God. This picture, this first picture of the first Christmas when Christ came into our world is filled with stress and exhaustion. They traveled so far to get to where they needed to be, Bethlehem, almost a hundred miles of travel. Maybe Joseph was walking, that's Often seen in, in pictures and on cards, Joseph walking and Mary on a donkey. But I tell you something now, when you're about to give birth, traveling for 100 miles on a donkey, I don't know if that's advisable. That's hard. That's exhausting. And there's no comfort in the process There's no comfort in delivering Christ into this world. They're obeying God. They're doing everything they can to follow Him. But the road seems hard and difficult. It's not not hard to imagine when Joseph and Mary arrive in Bethlehem of them trying to get help pleading with somebody to give them a room, to give them place, to assist them, but no human help was given. That's the picture of the first Christmas. That's the raw, rea- that's the raw rugged reality that they had to face, and it's important to see. You know, I've had the joy, like many of you, of bringing seeing my children being born, being a part of that, experiencing that. And you know, months before you go into preparation mode, 
you start to stockpile all of these things ready for the new arrival. And all of this equipment your house becomes filled with, you know, from, from cots to cribs to, to, you know, prams and pushchairs, and you've got bottle sterilizers. You've got everything prepared, ready for this little bundle of joy to come into the world. You start loading up with your wet wipes. You're going to need them. <laughs> Talcum powder. Disposable nappies. Need a lot of those. We had a garage full of them. And we still didn't have enough. But you're preparing, ready for the new arrival to come. And then there's the weekly visits from the health visitors. Checking up on the health of mom and baby. It's a whole new way of life to get ready for. And then the moment comes when the baby's going to be born. What a moment that is, especially on the first one. And your mom is rushed into hospital. You don't know what to do. You've learned kind of one word. Push! <laughs> you can do it! Mom and baby is rushed into hospital. And what you see is that utmost care is given to mom and to bring this new little baby into the world. I mean, you can't even imagine. You cannot even imagine as a parent of ever delivering a baby on a stable floor with animals present and only a manger to lay him in. You, you cannot even imagine that happening. But that's what happened on the first Christmas when God sent his son into this world. That's the reverse side of the tapestry of their lives. It wasn't a pleasant one. You look at their lives and there seems to be no planning in place. It seems to be a zigzag of movements with no order. And to any onlooker looking on at Mary and Joseph, they would just see a jumble of knots, a mass of threads, confusion all around. And yet God... God was ordering their way. God was ordering their steps. God was fulfilling his prophetic word. Line after line after line that had been held out for thousands of years. And now it was all coming into fruition as they were moving to obey God. And as Christ was being born in Bethlehem. Corrie ten Boom was a Dutch Christian who helped many Jews escape Nazi persecution during World War II. When she would talk to people who were troubled about their purpose in life, she would show them a cloth with a messy jumble of colored threads on it, threads that seemed to have no 
logical order. On the screen is a picture of the cloth, cloth that she would often show. Can you see that? Just a jumble of threads with no logical order. And she would point out as she would show people this jumbled up mass of knots and thread that life was very often like that. Day-to-day life was very often just like that mass of knots and those jumbled threads, all seeming to be confused with no apparent order. But after showing them that mass of knots on the thread, that, on, on the cloth that she held in her hand, she would smile and turn the cloth over to reveal the front side for them to see of what the weaving really was, a beautiful crown. When you look at the front side of that, you see order, you see design, you see completion. When you look at the reverse side, you see not completion, but confusion and contradiction. She would often say, whilst we only look at the backside of life's tapestry, God the weaver looks at the glorious front side. And then she would read a poem by Grant Colflax Tuller titled, Life is But a Weaving. Let me read it to you. This is what she would read. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oftentimes he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. One thing you see over this first Christmas as you look at the details, as hard as what they were for Mary and Joseph to face, there was no complaint in their mouth. There was no rebuttal in their heart against God. They allowed him to choose the colors of the tapestry of their lives and all the design and all the intricate nature of it. God's wisdom was above their own and his weaving 
as mysterious as it was, was worked out through their obedience. Many years after Christ's birth, Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter 2 writes about the reverse side of the tapestry of Christ's life. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through to 8, Paul writes of the humiliation that Jesus went through for us. Listen to what he says. And think about that reverse side, the underside of the tapestry of Christ's life as he went through terrible pain and suffering in his humiliation. Paul said this, firstly, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. There was nothing glorious about Jesus' life. He was born in a stable, a cold, dirty, dark place. That's where he started, and he ended on a cross, suffering and dying, taking the world's shame as the Lamb of God, to save us from our sins. That was the backside. That was the backside of the tapestry of Christ's life. But Paul, in this very chapter, carries on, not just to reveal the backside of Christ's life, but also he shows us the very front side of Christ's glory as he was raised from the dead on the third day. After his humiliation, he was exalted and given the name that is above every other name. From Let me read, come on! From verses 9 through to 11, Paul says this regarding the front side of Christ's life in his resurrection. He says, therefore God also has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Hallelujah! He was sown in humiliation. He was raised in glory. Hallelujah! Jesus was humbled like no other, like no other. But he's been exalted to the highest place. Many names in history, one name in eternity. One name and one name only. Hallelujah. He has been given the name that is above every, every other name. 
Mary and Joseph, and we're going to come to a close in just a few moments. Mary and Joseph did what the Apostle Paul exhorts all believers to do when looking at the backside of the tapestry of life. When we're facing trials, when we're facing hardships, when we're facing circumstances that we don't understand, don't just give up hope. Look beyond. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says these words, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. That's difficult on times. Really is. But the power of the Holy Spirit lives in you. You look back over this last year, my goodness. Amidst all of the variants and all of the viruses, we've got our own personal circumstances and troubles to get through as well. I tell you, the rucksack has been full on occasions. But you know what? You've come through. You've come through. Glory to God, you've come through. You've had a strength that's not your own. You've been able to walk this path, and even though at times it's been like a valley of the shadow of death, you've not feared evil because like David, you've been able to say, you're with me, Lord. You're with me. Just like this young couple said. You've not looked at the troubles. So we don't look at the troubles, Paul said. We can now see rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. That's the comfort of the believer. That's the hope, the fire that burns in our hearts. The things that we now see, the troubles that we undergo, the, the, the backside of that tapestry that seems so confusing, and so disordered, all of those things will soon be gone, the Scriptures tell us. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Hallelujah. That's our assurance. That's our assurance in God. That's the musicians and singers and our choir, is it? Is our choir going to come as well? Fantastic. That choir is just absolutely fantastic. <laughs> really is. Wonderful. They're going to get ready. Do you know, I remember years ago, sat on the edge of my bed, I had my head in my hands, and I said three times, I repeated one line three times, very simple line, I hate my life, and I meant it, I meant it. I hate my life. And you know, 
I didn't think God wanted anything to do with me. I didn't think God was interested in me. I didn't think God loved me. And when you haven't got a revelation or an understanding that God loves you, there's a lot to hate about yourself. I hate my life. I looked at my past. There was nothing good back there. <laughs> what a mess. What a mess. And I looked at my future in light of my past, and I thought, hmm, there's not much hope in front of me. <laughs> but you know what? On that night, Jesus came to me. I didn't see a vision. I didn't, you know, there wasn't a choir of angels appearing in the room. But he spoke a word to me from the Bible. After saying those words, I, I felt really bad. I picked up my Bible and I thought, my God, I need you to speak to me. And you know, I don't advise you to do this, but I just really needed help. I decided just to open my Bible anywhere and go like that. Dying. <laughs> Thank God it went to the right place, right? That's all I'm saying, right? I went, I opened the Bible, I went, boing. And you, I, I kid you not, right? I kid you not. This is in the Bible. And it's actually the words of Jesus. I mean, it was incredible. My, my finger fell on the verse, words of Jesus, blessed is the man who hates his life, right? I, honestly, right? I, I wouldn't say it. I would not say it. I promise you. Blessed is the man who hates his life, for in hating his life, he will find my life. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you today. Let me ask you today, and this, I, I know for the majority of us, this might not apply. It might be somebody watching this morning on the internet. Have you got to a place where you hate your life? Like I got to? It's an awful place. It's not a nice place. It's a, it's a backside of the tapestry moment. Where you see all of the knots, all of the loose ends, all of the things you can't change, all of the spilt milk that won't go back in the bottle, and you're confused. Don't worry, I'm going to cheer up in a minute. It's a carol service. <laughs> but you know what? I was at that place. But the great thing is, this is, this is the incredible thing. Jesus is waiting, right? already there at the place for you to arrive. He's there because he's been there and far beyond there, and he's able to take you from there and make slowly, slowly make all things new. Make all things new. Let me tell you, you may look at the tapestry today, the backside, because this side of life, that's all we're going to see, right? You may, look, you, you may think, my God, it's a real mess. Join the club. We're all in that. But let me give you a little glimpse 
of what the Bible promises to us. Because one day, listen, one day the tapestry is going to be turned front side up. This is what the Bible talks about. And this is the final scripture that I'm going to give you this morning. And it's just a little glimpse into what's ahead beyond this life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul declares this. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. One day the tapestry is going to turn and all of those moments in life that you cannot understand, all of those events that you wish that you have never gone through, all of those decisions and choices that you regret like us all, suddenly it's all going to make sense because God, and he's the only one that can do this, he works all things together for good to those that love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing. I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for your people this morning. Thank you so much. You love us. You've chosen us. We don't know why you chose us. We would never choose ourselves, but you chose the weak things, the broken things, the messed up things of this world to confound the wise. We're amazed that you would give your love to us. We're amazed that you would, that you would show such wonderful interest in our lives. And we thank you, the assurance we hold in our hearts, what you've spoken to us, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We can be still and know and rest in the fact that you are God over our lives. I pray for every person under the sound of my voice today that they would know your peace, they would know your comfort, they would know your wonderful love. And over this Christmas, they would just rejoice in your goodness and your care. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand to our feet and give God praise and thanks for his word this morning. And we're going to sing just before we go. God bless you.